Heyo, welcome everyone to Today in the Scene by Indie Arcade Wave. I'm Joe, your host. Here on In the Scene, we dive into what's happening in the arcade space. From new indie arcade developers, arcade owners, and operators, and just news in the space in general. We are here to answer the question, is the arcade dead? And spoiler on that, the answer is no. I'm a part of the team that brought Galactic Battleground to the arcade in 2017, so I've been around this space for a little while, and I've talked to tons of arcade owners, and I am very excited for this week's guest. So let's dive into this week's episode. Joining me this week is someone who's very well known in the arcade scene for having a massive collection and an incredibly rare collection of games as well. This is the largest arcade in the world, housing over 900 games actively on the floor at a time. And the arcade I'm talking about is Galloping Ghost in Brookfield, Illinois. And with us today, we have the owner, Doc Mack. How are you doing, Doc? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Like I said, I'm super excited. Like, Anytime I go to a convention and people are talking about arcades, everybody's like, have you ever been to Galloping Ghosts? <laughs> I have not. I have not made it. I really want to go. But um, it's just insane that you guys have so many games on the floor and you're obviously in love with the arcade space. So let's just jump right in with who is Doc Mac? Just let us know who you are and what you're about. Um, so I've, I started getting in the arcade scene at a very young age. I've, uh, first arcade game I ever played was Asteroids and uh, I've literally grown up in arcades um, never got out of them uh, obviously got into console gaming at, at one point but still was hitting the arcades and it was so interesting to watch it all evolve um, when I was 16, 17, uh, 1994 I opened up uh, Galpingos Productions which uh basically we I, I wanted to make arcade games and uh that's how it all started it was a chance encounter i i didn't know if i wanted to go work at uh midway games or the decision was made pretty much for me that uh we would be doing our own thing so um the arcade galloping ghost arcade opened up in 2010 uh august 13th and we had 130 machines when we opened and it's just grown since then. Every every year, it's uh, since then we've helped other over forty arcades open worldwide, and uh, we've got to know a lot of the legends of the industry that have made all these great games, and uh, just love doing what we get to do here. Yeah, I mean, speaking of legends, you guys, Illinois is like the place for arcades. It seems. I mean, you got Stern, you got Jersey Jacks, you got Roth Thrills. Um, it's I mean, I'm sure I could keep going with other people that are in the area. It's it's nuts how many people gravitate to that area. And I'm always fascinated to find out how the arcade starts. Obviously, like, you love the games. You wanted to work in the industry. You wanted to make your own games. You started collecting, all that kind of stuff. But how did you actually start Galloping Ghosts? Like, what was the process of going from I have this stuff to now I have an arcade? So it, it, it all started with the production company. Um in 94, we wanted to do a one-on-one -on -one fighting game similar to Mortal Kombat. Um, I had a chance run-in with Ed Boon, and um, I was working at Babbage's Software at the time. And basically was like, hey, Mr. Boon, could I... I love arcade games. I love fighting games. I love Mortal Kombat. I would love to take some of the characters that we've created, bring them to Midway. And he's like, mm, good luck. And like, and 
it was that kind of pushed me to go focus and open Galloping Ghost Productions. And a few years, <clears throat> we had spent a long time working on the game and rebooted it about 10 years in. Uh, the game was looking very dated, so we we basically started over. The big thing was when the arcade, uh, we heard, um, we were getting ready to think of how we were going to release the game. And anytime we heard about arcades, they were just closing left and right. And the a company called Orcade had opened up in about 2006, 2007. So they were a location tracker. So we were like, oh, this is a great thing. This will help us find out what, where the arcades are and where we can sell our game to. So we really wanted to help promote this site because it would it would be beneficial to us. So we started going to every arcade we could find, any place that had an arcade game, pool halls, laundromats, um, movie theaters, bars, anything that had an arcade game we were at. And one of the big things that we noticed was that so many of the machines weren't working. And it became really the the cornerstone of like, oh, wow, if this this is probably why so many of the arcades are going people there's a there's not really a great arcade anymore so it was like okay well we're going to fix that once the game comes out we'll open this arcade up and it'll it'll do all these things and we ended up writing the business model for what would become Galloping Ghost Arcade uh one of the actors in the game a few years later he was selling his business and he's like what would you do if you could do any business that you would want to do? What would you want to do? And I was like, Oh, I've got a few business models that I've written in the past just for fun. One's an arcade. He's like, Oh, can I see that? Told, told them all about it. And he's like, Oh, that's amazing. Can I use his business model? <clears throat> and was basically, yeah, sure. Whatever. Like he's, he's on staff. He's a member of Galloping Ghost. Why not? Like the more arcades, the better. And shortly after that, he found out that it would be very difficult for him to run an arcade because he didn't know all the nuances of it. So he he brought me on and we became partners. And then shortly after that, uh, the arcade, it, it opened. It was successful out of the box. We were profitable after about eight months. And the, the concept behind it was to have a lot of games uh, take really good care of them, um, really showcase the industry side, because uh, as you were saying, there's so many game development companies here in Chicago. You Gottlieb, Konami, Electronic Arts, Midway, of course, and uh, all that history is right here. And because of the production company, we've been able to get close to and know so many of the people that made these great games decades ago. So it was a place to really showcase them and what they had created and give players a chance to come and meet those legends of the industry. Uh, because those people are the, the movie stars and, and celebrities of, of what we all love and enjoy. So, so many, it was, it was just this perfect blend of everything, everything just lined up and uh, we opened very quickly and it just kind of all, kept going from there and continues to go that way. So 
Yeah, I love to hear that it, it was so successful right out the right out the gate, and it's continuing to be successful. It's obviously continuing to grow. You put a new game on the floor every Monday, correct? Every Monday, we've done it for eight years. We have not eight, eight years. Every single Monday, you put a new game out, which is why you're over nine hundred, which is just still bonkers to me. I'm like trying to comprehend <laughs> what an arcade with nine hundred games looks like. Um, speaking of that, like, what drives the arcade these days is it your absolute love for the game or are you just like trying to collect them all at this point <laughs> so i'm basically very fortunate fortunate to be able to hide a terrible compulsion to collect amongst a viable successful business and initially it's it's gotten so much harder to keep getting in new games we've got uh about 160 games in the vaults that are still going to be added to the arcade floor so we have a, a few more years of monday mystery but we're running out of space quick um we just did an expansion in august and we're in the middle of our next expansion space will be an issue and it's it's really coming such a challenge to keep finding just like the ultra rare games that we want. Like there's, there's not too many more that are like, we're very excited to get that we haven't already obtained. So it's, it's not about getting them all. There's, there's games that um, we've passed on uh, numerous times and <clears throat> it's just about having honestly it's a, a selfish thing it's it's the games i want to play so it's fortunate fortuitous that i'm i like a lot of diverse styles of games but you can definitely see the the stuff that interests me less like um i'm not not huge into sports games not huge in the rhythm side of things like dance dance revolution and all the games like that huge demand for it and was not really my thing um and should we ever have one in the arcade, it would be more of the historic and side of things and how it pushed the arcade scene forward. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely changed a great deal from the collecting side over the last few years, especially. Yeah, I mean, it's a perfect way to hide your addiction to collect all the games by having a business that makes you money and, you know, it's for the business. It's not for me, right? Right. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's been, I've collected things my whole life and uh, usually was able to, as I got out of them, I would sell them and right. then go on to the next thing. And this is one I could, one, I could never part with it. Even we've had some outrageous offers to buy the business and everything and a lot of money offered. And I just, I love it too much. So. I mean, you've spent so much time building it. Why just, why just, uh, you're not ready to be done yet. So no, no. the offers are still viable later, but not now. Um, They're nice to hear for sure. But... For sure. Let's, let's talk about some other rare games you guys have. Like you, you've mentioned that you have some really rare stuff. And I want to say I saw Time Traveler or two, something like that. We have Time Traveler and Holiseum side by side, original dedicated cabinets, uh, those giant white, laundry machine looking ones that um just an incredible design on it got a parabolic mirror with a tv in the bottom reflecting them and time traveler the laser disc game so 
that that one I remember playing back in 1994 at the Sega World Tour, and it was just an incredible thing. And uh, we picked that one up out in Ohio, and it, it was just amazing to be able to have that here. And it's the funniest thing because most people don't remember the name of it, and people walk up and there's this game, and you were a cowboy. It, it's like most of the time you don't even have to hear that they're they've just got that look to them where it's they think they're gonna stump you and it's it's always time travelers the game they're thinking of so that game had really affected so many people and had such an impact on people because there was nothing like it yeah i i think it's a really cool game i've seen a few pictures of it i've never played it i really want to but what are what are some of the other rare games that you have there? Obviously, there's 900 to choose from. What what really stands out to you as some games that were either really hard to find or have a really memorable story of finding? Um, so we have like we've got Primal Rage Two, which was at the time one of the holy grails of arcade collecting. People didn't even really know that it, it if it even existed. Um, it had basically they had seen it years and years and years earlier at a show i think the guy i heard rumors that there were being charged uh 25 dollars a play on it at this one show and we had gotten ours from a guy by who went he went by tom brady who was in the mortal Kombat scene and we had developed in uh had a team gga which was a pro fighting team that we sponsored we sent our players all over the world to go compete in Mortal Kombat 9 tournaments. We paid their hotel fees, their tournament fees, uh, airfare to get them to Evo and everything. So we had really built this community back in 2011 that was ahead of its time. Uh, fighting games were just kind of kicking back into things. And our players were training and it had made such a wave. Like there are fighting teams on the East Coast and the West Coast, but nothing in the Midwest that was organized. And our players were so good. We had guys like 16-Bit and GGA Jeremiah, Tommy Waffles, Phil Pops, um, Dizzy, uh, Pete Hahn. So everybody was just, the, the team was just so formidable. And after Evo, uh, the year Perfect Legend won, he traveled back to Chicago to train with our guys. Even though he had won Evo, he's like, this is where I want to train. This is where I want to hang out. So we were drawing players in from everywhere. And Tom Brady, who was such a notable Sub-Zero player, he came in and uh, he was like, man, I love this community. And he's like, this is so good. And he was like, you know, I, I've got a Primal Rage 2 board sitting in my in my house. And if I ever decide to part with it, I'll sell it to you. And I'm like, yeah, right. This this guy just happens to have the holy grail of arcade collecting sitting there. Okay, whatever. Sure. I'm thinking he probably just had some, an original Primal Rage 1 board or, or something. So time went a month went by and uh he messaged us he's like you know what this game should be at your place and we we not even knowing what we were really going to get where we worked out a deal he did not want much for it he was all about he wanted it to where people would enjoy it 
So we paid for it. It took some time for us to get the board. Board didn't work. So then it took us some more time and finally it fired up and it's Primal Rage 2. It is the Primal Rage 2. And that was such a huge addition to the arcade because it was, we we had one guy call up and offer us $60,000 for the board the day after we announced it. And we turned it down because like we had to have this here. Uh, shortly after that, we, we would see, like, we had a couple that hitchhiked in from Oregon just to play this game. Uh, we started talking with Chris Tang, who was one of the legendary designers. He recently was a few years back got inducted in the international video game hall of fame. And Chris was telling us about how it was kind of like the only sore spot in all the games that he'd worked on. He worked on street fighter games and so many great fighting games, but Primal Rage 2, it being canceled, was the one thing that bothered him in his whole video game career. And the night we put the game out, we did this huge, like, six-hour stream uh, and showcased the game. And it was Primal Rage 2 really way ahead of its time when it came out. And Chris said it, it was so, uh, like, it made him feel so good the game was being talked about and played at such a much higher level. And it was probably just the fact that people didn't understand the game when it actually came out. It was a lot deeper than a lot of the other fighting games out there. You were switching forms to prolong combos and everything. And it it was just such a vindication for him, he said. So it was such a cool thing to be able to have that happen for such a notable industry person here at the arcade from us putting such an insanely rare game out on the floor. And we take it to shows and it's just one of those people never thought they would play an original arcade hardware version of primal rage two. And there it is for everybody to enjoy. That's so cool. that it just like basically like fell in your lap. It's just this guy. He's like, I love fighting games. You guys have awesome fighters. I love the like the energy of your arcade. Like, here's this thing that nobody can find that I'm just have chilling in my basement and it's not working. It's yours now. Like that's that's really cool of him to add that to the collection and the community. And he's now forever a part of your story, which is also really cool. Over the years, it's it's really we've found so many people that are so generous with wanting to share their items like that. Um, from pinball machines to to the arcade side, like there's people that just want people to enjoy them. The community has been so tremendously supportive of us that, uh, again, we've helped so many arcades open. It, it's that one thing that you can't really factor in is how the community is going to to deal with you. Right. And it, the one of the things that has made us so successful is definitely the community support it is uh and the industry support another outrageously rare game that we have um we have narc which 1988 that was the first arcade game i ever purchased um for my house before the galloping ghost arcade was even a thing uh we were doing a huge event where called developer days <clears throat> which basically we just get all the industry, we pick a game and 
have any of the industry people that we know come out and we want to hear all their stories about how that game got made. And it was the night before the event for, for NARC. Uh, we were talking with Eugene Jarvis and George Petro and get, we were going to have everybody out. Uh, George Petro calls us up and he's like, hey, do you have a spare NARC board? And we're so we're frantically racing around. We're trying to get artwork printed and uh, get stuff for all the legends of the industry to sign and just doing a lot of research and prep work. And we're like, of course, George, we have a spare. We'll bring it out to you. So took it out to him and didn't really think another thing about it. We were just so excited for the event the next day. So the event starts. We're seeing guys like Mark Lafredo, and um, we're getting a call from Jack Hager, and just all these. Uh, the day is just going insane. It's just an amazing time. George Petro shows up, and he's like, oh, here's your board back. And he's like, starts telling me the story. He's like, you know, about three weeks before the game actually launched, we were testing a level. It was a later in the game, you are flying the helicopter that brings you in in level two. It was basically a bonus level. You're it's the first time you're actually piloting the helicopter. You have unlimited bombs, so you're just like raining bombs down on the Dosloff gang and uh, Joe Rockhead and Dr. Spike Rush and just blowing everything up. It's like when we put it out it was glitching and it would freeze the game up. So the game was so close to launch. We had to get it done. We just scrapped the level. We pulled it out. It was probably on test for one or two days. He's like, I finished coding it last night and I fixed the bug. Here's your board back with the only version of that level that, that probably most anybody has ever seen. Here it is for the arcade floor. And that's the one we have on the arcade floor. We have, we have the, original version and the our one-of-a-kind version that George Petro specifically made and finished for us. That's just such a cool, like, unicorn collection moment <laughs> right there. Like, the one-of-one. One. Like, you can find yeah. narcs. They're, they're tough to find, but, like, you're never going to find that narc. Um, that's that's cool it's just like the more we talk the crazier your collection gets just having like all these like little tiny one-offs and everything um let's talk indies like i know that you've seen some indies you go to midwest gaming classic you're right in the area so i know you've seen like you i think we met briefly uh one year with galactic battleground and then like death ball killer queen cosmetrons all that stuff what do you think of these new indie games that are coming out and which ones do you kind of have your eye on that you like um so, like, the indie scene, the first of the indie games that we really saw come out uh, was Sky Cursor. And we tried to be very, very supportive with them. Um, it was it was quite the, the learning experience. Uh, a lot of the newer stuff, it's it's been surprising where we haven't had a lot of people reach out to us. Uh, we were talking a lot with the Cosmotron guys. We, we couldn't land on a deal. Uh, for getting their cabinet here, but um, it, it's obviously like with Galpingo's Productions, like that's why the arcade started was our our indie company. So it's it's definitely one we love. All the indie games that are coming out. We love seeing the revitalization to that side of it, uh, and I I think it's it's just 
on the on the road up to where arcades can be back in a much stronger force than ever. Like the, there's basically the three parts to what it, it needs to happen to make the gaming scene work. You need players that want to go to two arcades. First, there has to be arcades. Then there has to be players that want to go. And then to make that circle kind of complete, you need new content. And it's great to see that the indie side is stepping up and making games and making cabinets. And uh, even in Japan, we've seen guys like Showtime uh, putting out the Exa Arcadia. And he's he's definitely taking it to a whole nother level with uh, so many of the bringing back well-known designers to work on like new versions of games that they did in the past, which it's incredible. Yeah. I, I love the X Arcadia. I've been talking to uh, Adam from arcade heroes a ton about the X Arcadia. Cause it's just, he's covering it. He's, he's cutting edge on it and he's got a direct line to the, everybody in the company. So it's, it's cool to see what they're doing, the new games they've got. And I love the modular fact of it. It's like the, the new cabinets they have, you can have two players, four players, you can have vertical screen, horizontal screen, and then you got the cartridges. Like that's yep. the new the new Neo Geo. It's it's such a good idea. And they have great games on there. Um I've got one last question for you before we wrap everything up. And this is one that I also asked uh your buddy Rick, who got me in touch with you. The difference between an arcade that is coin operated and pay at entrance. You're on the other side of the coin there with wanting to get kind of like a pay to get in. What's your reason for preferring the pay at the door and then play all you want? So the there's several. Um, when we were opening the arcade and defining what the business model was, there, there weren't free play arcades. Uh, the, we really dissected the psychology of how players work. When I went to an arcade, I had 20 bucks or whatever, however much in quarters I would have with me. And I would play the stuff I knew, but I wouldn't play the stuff I didn't know. Uh, I'd look at it. Maybe I'd, I'd try it once. And it, it changes so much being uh, a door fee because you're building a community at that point. You're not getting people. If, if your concern is a door fee or, or, pay per play once you're out of money you go home uh you get people that stay much longer because they're they're still playing they're playing until they've played enough uh the games what games you have there you look at donkey kong if you talk to there's a few arcades that'll share information um about earnings and just like in the old days if a game didn't earn it had to go and you look at why the time games cycled out over the years, games like Donkey Kong, like Donkey Kong is such a hard game. People don't sit on and just pump quarters into it. it. It just doesn't happen. So earnings wise, does Donkey Kong get to stay in most arcades? If it's a pay for play, it shouldn't because while well, people love to see it, they don't play it like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where you're just pumping the quarters in. So it, it gets rid of the whole earnings thing. It gets rid of the whole, um, the malfunction, the, the tech work of fixing coin jams. One thing that we've seen is you put in a coin and 
nothing happens, people feel like they've been uh, robbed, basically. So w- what comes from that is people are rough on the machine. They'll start pounding on the machine. So you you get rid of this whole level of maintenance. Uh, Player-wise, you do. You lose out on the people that are they're bringing a buck in and they want to spend five minutes and they just want to play whatever. But if you're, you get um, the players that are coming in, you want them to be there. You're not, you're not, you don't want somebody just like in and out that doesn't have that investment. So just, we've seen the machines get treated much better. We see the players find games that they wouldn't have otherwise played. And that is really, led to players just finding games that they're the new favorites for them. And it's something that would never happen in an arcade. And it's why you look at so many of the uh, like games that have a higher point of entry to learn how to play them. Uh, those games got overlooked. They're great games, but people didn't want to invest the quarters. And yeah, you're thinking like, Oh, it's 25 cents, but Back then, you only had that that handful of quarters that you had with you, and then you were leaving. So it it literally changed the psychology of gaming, going with this free play model, and that gets players into scoring and working to get. Uh, they set an, a goal that they want to achieve. They want to get this score or beat this other player, and they focus. And that's why we've seen the scores go through the roof because you take that that inability to throw a game away you put a quarter in you start it up and you don't do you you die real early you can just wipe it down it doesn't matter and that's that's been one of the big things for good or bad like gaming gaming for scoring has changed so much with the introduction introduction of playing at home and everything but it it's just allow players to really try games that they've never really tried before in a much deeper way I think that's one of the biggest things for me on that argument is if you're not putting the money in, you can try anything at any point. If you don't like it, you can walk away from it or just wipe it down and then walk away. Or, I mean, it's big for the indie stuff because that's the biggest barrier to entry that I hear from arcade owners is, well, what does it earn? And it's like, well, we have it in enough places to have a good idea, but we can't guarantee it for your location because we don't know exactly what your customers are like. But if somebody is able to walk up and just play it and try it, we're in a couple of arcades that are free or that are pay at the door, just like you. And I mean, they're getting hundreds of plays, like hundreds of plays, like on a Saturday, 150 plays. Like it never would do that if you had to pay 50 cents to get on it just to try it. So I love the idea of like pay at the door so that you can you can play. But also the psychology of the quarter is Rick has a good argument on the other side, but I like both arguments. Uh, I think it's dependent on the individual business and with you having so many games that's exactly what you want you want people to try stuff they've never played absolutely they the both business models like the the paper play probably will never go away it's right. uh it's ingrained um for us we've we've seen to make them work we've seen obviously we've seen free play or pay at the door arcades they open and close just like uh, an arcade that is paper play. Um, but it, it just like what, as a business side of it, you do, 
you get that set amount, you know what you're getting from each, each player. So it's numbers wise. It, it definitely worked better for us. Um, both are valid though. Uh, we definitely recommend and uh, urge the new arcades to go with the free play model because we're, we're trying to build a community that is very focused on scoring and trying obscure rare games. So it, it's, it's personal preference to the arcade owner though. Right. So if you're looking to open an arcade, definitely take that into consideration as to which model you want to go with. Cause it is going to shape your arcade quite a bit. Um, but doc, I really appreciate you coming on here just to wrap everything up. Uh, give shout outs to anybody in the industry you want to say what's up to and also social media links so people can check out galloping ghosts. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, it's, there's so many people in the industry that, um, we, we get to work with and there's so many other amazing arcades, uh, places like Prince arcades out in Bolingbrook and Scott Lambert at, uh, underground retrocade. Those guys have done such a phenomenal job keeping the spirit of the arcades alive. Um, Pat and Glenn over at star worlds. There's just so many and guys like Rick at, uh, arcade odyssey, Adam Pratt, if you can make it out to any arcade, go check them out because it's it's an experience uh, worth worth going to, like travel to them. It's great to see so many people traveling to arcades. Uh, I have to give a shout out to our master tech, Doug Fox, that ha- helps keep everything up and running. And Brandon Diaz, our lead artist at Productions. Master Tech, Ken Walker at Galloping Ghost Pinball and Greg Gominas. Um it's such a group effort to get all this stuff uh, to make an arcade function. And it's guys like Tommy waffles and GGA Jeremiah. Thank all thanks to all them for helping us get to where, where we're going and um, all the industry people and legends of the industry, Brian Cohen, Jeff Lee. It's, it's a long, all the mortal Kombat guys. It's such a long list of people that we owe, but most of all, the the players that come out and hang out with us at the Galloping Ghost Arcade. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, always at, uh, and on uh, Twitch at twitch.tv slash Galloping Ghost Arcade. So just find us, follow us, and uh, make sure you're tuning in on Mondays for a new game on Twitch. Awesome. Well, I'm going to link all those down in the description. Again, thank you, Doc, for coming on, talking about the arcade, the experiences that you've had, and just cool stories, obviously, about like really rare games. Um, you got to love hearing about rare games that people can't find anymore. Everybody's holy grail once somebody finally obtains it. It's, it's good to hear that somebody's got it and they can go play it there. So if you're looking for Primal Rage 2, there's your spot. You can definitely go there. Um, if you like what we're doing here at Indie Arcade Wave, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. It helps us a ton. It'll keep growing the wave, and we can all ride it together. But until next time, peace.